Hello, I believe this is Laura connecting with us. Yes, it's me. How are you? Good, good. Well, welcome everyone to this week's edition of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. And Funny Wine Girl is me, Janine Luby. And this week we are talking to my good friend and fabulous cook, Laura Martinetti. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I am so excited about having our conversation tonight. And a couple things I want to introduce before we get started. Um, so July is National Ice Cream Month, of course. That's a great time because everyone loves ice cream, especially in the summertime. And I like to introduce, I've been trying to do this uh, consistently each week, introduce just a little bit of information or an interesting fact about wine. So I wanted to share with our listeners um, just something to do with wine and ice cream pairings. And now there are people who probably think, ew, uh, I wouldn't want ice cream with my wine. But think of it as a grown-up treat, right? So you can make ice cream adult by adding wine. So just a couple tips that I found online, which makes sense when you are pairing ice cream with wine. Uh, it is recommended that you choose wines that are sweet, obviously. When you're pairing, you want sweet with sweet. So you want the ice cream to be sweeter than, or excuse me, you want the wine to be sweeter uh, than the ice cream. You want to choose a wine that is not very high in tannins, and you want to choose a wine that's not really too high in acidity. Because uh, think of it like putting, you know, you wouldn't want to put a uh, squeeze a lemon over your ice cream. So you don't want that kind of taste so choose a sweeter wine and tonight because I like to say that I'm a method actor aka method podcaster I like to do what I'm talking about so I have a glass of Fisada which is a fruity red fizzy sweet wine from the Finger Lakes region it is by Traveling Vineyard and I will fully disclose that I am a wine guide for Traveling Vineyard and this wine is not sickeningly, excuse me, sickeningly sweet, which I don't love dessert wines that are really sweet. So it's not too sweet, but it's the right amount of sweet that you could pair it with. And it's actually recommended to have it with like a brownie, to have it with uh, vanilla ice cream, uh, strawberry shortcake, angel food cake. So again, because I am a quote unquote method actor, I was having before I rushed because I didn't want to be eating while we were talking. I had a hostess, half of a hostess cupcake, chocolate with a uh, cream filling, and some vanilla ice cream to pair with my facade, which is in my glass tonight. So that is what I had, but I want to intro it before we get started with you, Laura. Why am I talking about ice cream and wine? Besides the fact that it is National Ice Cream Month, um, last week, I like this transition. Last week I spoke about, so anyone who wants to listen, it's labeled Scud Day is not about the missile. Uh, it was actually about savor the comic unplug the drama and so the whole theme of last week's show was trying to find more levity lightness in life but i did focus a lot about savoring savor memories that are positive uh, moments that are happy so that that takes up residence in our mind and replaces negativity and stress so that's a nice intro into what we're talking about this week we were inspired by july being ice cream month and we want to talk about foods 
that bring back good memories, especially childhood memories. So I had the hostess cupcake, I have some animal crackers, and I have my red wine. So I'm going from kid memories to grown up reality right now. <laughs> so, so Laura, I'm gonna shush now and I want, so why don't you tell me some memories that are, or excuse me, some foods that you eat now that bring back good childhood memories or, or even sometimes just food that was so good when you were a kid that you think about it and you get a nice warm feeling. So I actually have four things that I think of when I, um, I, I have childhood memories. My sister and I had an easy bake oven and it took seven years to make one chocolate chip cookie. And I remember being so impatient, but we were so excited because it felt like our own oven, you know, we were doing this ourselves. So then when I make chocolate chip cookies regularly, I think, wow, it's so much easier now <laughs> instead of the <laughs> easy bake oven. And um, another thing that, that kind of goes through my mind, when I was a kid up until I was a teenager, so both of my parents were from New York City, right? And um, my father would do this thing where on New Year's Eve, we would have all these great little appetizer-y type food, and then we would make pizza from scratch. And it was so much fun. And my dad wanted to be the one to throw the dough up in the air. And hmm. it, would, it would always like land on our heads and like different <laughs> crazy things. So every single time I'm walking through a city or, you know, where you can see right in the shop window them making pizza, it just brings me back to New Year's Eve with my father, you know, just tossing the dough up in the air. And um, it's one of my favorite memories, I think, out of all of them. And, um, but you were talking about ice cream. So ice cream always reminds me, my sister and I would try to make different flavors of ice cream. And then there was this one time when I was a little bit older and it came back to me. Uh, she and I made vanilla ice cream once together. Wow. And, and I was making an Asian meal for one of my friends and I thought it might be fun to add, um, you know, just to do a, a very creative dessert. So I actually made a black sesame ice cream and I used black sesame seeds or you could buy black sesame paste for like the base of it. And then all of the other ingredients that you would use to make ice cream. And um, you can make it into actual ice cream and have it go through the ice cream maker, which is the best way to do it. But it just sort of, when I was doing that, it was an elevated version of what I used to do. And uh, and the last memory I have of that, um, my mom and I used to make chicken cacciatore all the time when I was a kid. And I just kind of helped her, so I never knew the recipe. But I finally have it, and I finally figured it out. So whenever I make the chicken cacciatore in the kitchen, I always think of her, because that was like one of her favorite meals to make for us. Well, that's nice. That's right. Now, do you make it for her? Do you still make it? Like, oh, on a regular basis? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you get to kind of relive that, but with your own twist, uh, which is really nice. 
Yeah. That is really nice. I uh, a couple weeks back, I had uh, the the episode "Don't Drink the Water, Drink the Wine" is what it's called. I had a conversation with Sandy Graham, who does cooking lessons and everything, and we talked about that really lovely connection of food with family and loved ones, where you can share the meals, or maybe things that you you watched your parents make or your grandparents. And uh, you know, again, I love my upbringing. You know, I, I love my parents. I love my you know grandmothers who lived with us. But we were not a family that, I don't want to say the food wasn't important, but food was functional. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really, um, and you know, I mean, we weren't rich, we weren't poor, we were like middle class. And my grandmother lived with us. She she handled a lot of the cooking. She was Irish and she did not really do anything fancy. I mean, it was every Sunday was roast beef, mashed potatoes. Occasionally she'd make a stew. I mean, w- there are no... One thing that when I see at Christmas time or at Easter and I see people making all the fish meals and all the different, you know, the halushki for the Polish families and all that stuff, we didn't have any special recipes. I didn't really, you know, uh, partake in, in, it wasn't like food was a big thing. Like it was just to eat dinner, you know, we were being fed. And, you know, while we ate together every night, there wasn't anything fancy or fantastical or, or super warm about the actual act of making food. I do have, I was thinking of this before tonight, I was trying to remember some special food memories. I do vaguely remember being a kid and my dad and grandma working on an apple pie together. And I remember he had one of those, I guess it was an apple core, I guess that's what you would call it. And it was the kind that you could clamp it on the table. Yes. And then, you know, he would he would do that. And I remember them making uh, apple pie and these cut out Halloween cookies uh, with, the, you know, the witch chat and everything but we didn't have a lot of moments like that so I kind of envy families who have that because there's got to be something even if you didn't partake even if you just watched it and now you make the recipes today that that your parents or grandparents made I think there's such a nice uh sentiment to that I mean do you find that with even some of the other dishes that maybe you didn't partake in the making of but you watched or you ate you know yeah, I actually, um, to give give an example of kind of family bonding, um, I actually sometimes will have my sister over and we'll make something together because, you know, even though we live close, we don't see each other a lot. But I do find it's kind of like, I, I even spoke about this in one of my podcasts. It's kind of like, you know, fishing, right? Like it's... Um, it's a bonding activity, whether you realize it or not, you're with that person and you're trying to accomplish a task together. So, I mean, it just sort of, it's really interesting. Like Michael Pollan, he's a well-known journalist and he's an author also. And he was trying to relate to his teenage son. And he actually learned all he could about cooking and he worked like and he made all these different recipes with his son and he felt that that really increased their bonding together and uh you know but yeah no i i agree there are i think the people that i've cooked with whether it was a friend or a family member um there's always there's a bond that's created there and even like when my friends bring their little kids over they remember that like a lot of those kids are now in their 20s which makes me pretty old and <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> right yeah and you know and I look at them they're like I never forgot that now I cook all the time like sometimes a, a fun little memory on their part 
will impact their life in a little way. So I think family bonding is so important with and that. I, that. I think, and I don't know, this isn't necessarily true for me again, but I feel like it probably did happen a lot during the pandemic with so many families being home together. Mm-hmm. At least that was an opportunity, don't you think, for people to spend time making more, you know, more meals that might take a, lo- a little bit longer because you have the time. You were ho- A lot of people were home together because we had to be home together there for a while. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people that I spoke to, um, the baking increased a lot. Um, baking cookies, baking bread, uh, learning how to do different skills in the kitchen. A lot of people that I spoke to, and even if you read about it, the statistics went up during the pandemic with baking. And um, there's a, a cathartic spin on it too, because when you're having a rough day, which several people did, I mean, I definitely had a rough time through the pandemic, but some of these parents are you know on zoom meetings with their kids they have their own full-time job and they're going crazy but just to punch down the dough to make the bread that's just really cathartic (laughs) okay laura can we have a night of doing that soon (laughs) i want to punch dough (laughs) yeah it's so great you feel so much better Yeah, I can. I that I could totally get behind. Um, the only time, again, I say I come from a family where we didn't do that kind of stuff. Uh, so I have had the opportunity. I've I've done a cooking class at uh, the Vintage Kitchen in Scranton, and I've also have I do have friends who are Italian, who have that you know making pasta thing down. And I did have one afternoon years ago. There was about seven or eight of us that got together in my kitchen. I think it was yeah, we had it at my kitchen, and we made pasta and. Wow, it was it was cool to actually to do that and to get your hands in the dough and do all that. But at the end of the day, this is how I know I'm not a true uh, cook or true lover of making food. I'm like, yeah, that's that was nice, but that's a lot of work. It it, it, it takes a while too. Like, yeah, it yeah. Was, like if you say to somebody, "Come over my house, we're making pasta from scratch," and if they invite you over their house at six, you're not eating until nine. I mean, it just takes yeah. a really long time. So, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, if the person comes over in the middle of the day and you have the time and you can relax and you're going to drink some wine and watch some movies in the meantime, you got to let the dough rest. And then, you know, you got to put it through the pasta maker and do that. So, I mean, as long as it's like a relaxed activity and you're not rushing, then it really becomes fun. So that's, uh, but yeah, you know, honestly, like I don't make pasta all the time either, but I would say once every few months I'll make some and I'll freeze it because actually it freezes really well. But that new pasta place that opened up locally to us, I mean, they're doing really well. A lot of people buy from them because it's the fresh pasta and they can just bring it home and, you know, have it. And it's just, it's light and fabulous and and everything. So yeah, no, I I agree. Absolutely. It's definitely like you said, it's it's nice if you have the time and you have the patience like you go, "Okay, I'm going to be with my friend or my family member or a date or whatever, and we're going to chill for a couple of hours and we're going to have a glass of wine and we're going to relax." I I think that's great because then it's an experience. It's not just the food, it's the whole process. But I think for me, 
I'm just a little bit too lazy <laughs> to do that on <laughs> any kind of regular basis. And again, I don't get the joy out of it. Like clearly you are someone who enjoys that kind of thing. And so we should do what it, what we enjoy. Now, I also need to take it up a notch from like eating just like hummus and crackers for dinner. But, you know, I don't <laughs> see me making too much homemade pasta anytime soon. But I mean, it is nice that it's an expression too. Um, we should mention, you know, you meant you referenced your podcast. You have a podcast called uh, Vibrant Love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you also have a blog, uh, Colorful Takeout Queen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So why don't you tell people, because again, a lot of times we hear and I read this book years ago, I think it was called When Food is Love. And it was actually about if I recall, it was about a friend of mine gave it to me. It was about the woman's kind of not so much addiction, but her relationship with food. And I mean, I think we can all relate to that where we have a relationship with food that is often unhealthy. I mean, I admit, like we talked about people having trouble with, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I definitely drank more wine. Mm-hmm. Not that I was a teetotaler before and I'm like, let's try this wine thing all the kids are talking about. Uh, <laughs> I was I was drinking wine before. I'm not going to pretend to be someone else, but I was drinking more during the pandemic because there were nights I laid in bed where I was like, are we going to make it? <laughs> you know, where oh, I was yeah. like, uh, people like Italy is being decimated. I mean, are we going to make it? So I definitely drank more wine. I, I ate unhealthy stuff and I still struggle because I don't eat healthy stuff. So there is definitely a certain, there's a lot of emotion that comes from food, but why don't you just tell us a little bit about your blog and your podcast and what motivated it? Oh, absolutely. So actually, um, I was, I started posting a lot of things on Facebook back in the late kind of 2000s before 2010 I really started to get into cooking in 2008 so one of my friends saw that I was doing that and said why don't you think about doing a blog so then I did some research and then I and one of my other friends said make sure you center it around something make sure you have a very concise theme so I did and um, my biggest thing was let's make the food colorful because when your food is colorful that means that there are healthy ingredients in it. So, you know, for example, um, Vietnamese cuisine, a lot of vegetables are in their cuisine and they're brightly colored and they're beautiful. So, um, or if you're making a rich um, dish, say of Chinese food, if you slice up some scallions, it gives it a little bit of green, a little bit of crunch and freshness. So you're basically making the dishes that you want but you're adding healthy ingredients to it. So basically what I wanted to do, because I love uh, going to restaurants and I love traveling, I my whole point for Colorful Takeout Queen is to say, this is where I went, this is what I ate, here's how you make it at home, and you can make it really colorful. And then there were times where I would get cookbooks in the mail um, that I ordered. I, I don't want to make it sound like people gave me cookbooks. I certainly ordered them. And uh, I would basically look at some of those recipes and I would change it up a bit and just, you know, put my own twist on it. So, you know, then I started listening to some podcasts recently and vibrant was always a word that was in my head when I thought about the ingredients that I like to use. And, you know, I when I cook food, I it's the way I show love to people. When somebody comes through the door and they're a close friend of mine, I have to like make them something. 
and I or I have to get them something you know it's just like the way I am I feel like a horrible Italian if I don't make you know <laughs> gnocchi for them to eat while they while they kind of so um you know so anyway vibrant love that's how I put that together and um yeah so that's pretty much how I I said that and and to your point before you don't necessarily want to make pasta from scratch like every week or something who does I mean who has that kind of time well some people do but I'm not (laughs) one of them I'm not one of them either but um what's lovely about that is there's a lot of things out there that make it easier for us so you know there's protein pasta there's this there's that there's all sorts of things that we can align with to make our lives easier and there's all those um, subscription services for food and things like that so there's just a lot of things that we can refer to but um, but yeah so that's sort of how my blog came about at first and then I was going I was uh, doing some recipes on uh, some local news stations and I have to say I got the most most followers when I was on WNEP I got about 300 followers so nice nice that was yeah that was really fun and my my podcast is um you know at first I I had like one person (laughs) listening to my but now it's gone up quite a bit and I'm I'm really grateful it's really a lot of fun so um and it the more I stay consistent and I keep putting out episodes the bigger my audience gets it's not huge but it's you know it's, it's bigger than it was when I started it in May, so. Oh yeah, well, and it, like everything, or I should say anything in life, you know, we just have to, it's a grind, right? You gotta keep mm-hmm. putting it out. And I mean, you know, a lot of people love, even if they don't, like for me, like I don't cook often, uh, I can do okay. I mean, there are a couple dishes I'm proud of, I could do okay, but I still love the stories behind it. I still enjoy watching different shows. You know, I used to love seeing Anthony Bourdain travel the world and Gordon <laughs> Ramsay, Chef Gordon Ramsay. A lot of people may not like him, but I love him. He's like my crush. I love, I love him. <laughs> that hair, that foul mouth. Oh my gosh, what's not to love? Uh, so he's hot. done an Iron Man. He works out, but <laughs> like watching just like, you know, and learning tips and just the experience of the food and hearing, you know, people's backgrounds with the food or, or seeing you know with Anthony Bourdain when he was traveling just seeing what what food means to different people and different cultures and I mean there is such a language of it it's really so you don't I don't think you need to be a cook to truly appreciate like the things that are out there and the things that you're doing with your you know your podcast and with your blog so I think it's great people can definitely enjoy it whether they like to make food or just eat it (laughs) you know there's something definitely to be enjoyed there for sure definitely I know so many people that hate to cook absolutely they get takeout all the time but they're they will I love pioneer woman I love Tyler Florence I love you know chef Ramsey like they just learn so much from it but they don't necessarily put it into practice but it's visually stimulating and they do a good job so you know it's um there's definitely a, a love affair with people and watching the food be prepared so I, I absolutely, um, I agree with that statement. There's ton, tons of my friends are like that. They don't like to cook, but they like to come over and I'll make them dinner and then they ask how I did it. And then they're like, you could be my personal chef someday. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> 
nice to hear that, right? Yeah. And then sometimes you like, for me, I forget how I discovered it. I think it was from my boyfriend, Chef Ramsey. Yes, he's my imaginary boyfriend. Um, he doesn't know, but that's okay. His wife doesn't know. His kids don't know. I'll know, and that will be special. Um, I was watching something of his, I don't know, what I was Googling on YouTube or whatever, and I was looking at one of his recipes, and it turned out that it was something, I think if something doesn't require a ton of effort, that's what, what really resonates with me. So it was a crispy skin salmon recipe. Um, well, even before that, it was actually, no, that was it. My parents had given me a cast iron skillet as a gift. And I was like, oh, I want to use this. So I did make, I made steak in it. And I was looking up, that's right. I was looking up a recipe and I came across his on YouTube and I was so proud of myself. I'm like, I kept bathing it with the butter like he did. And I did the rosemary and I did like, you know, it was a simple thing. It didn't have a ton of ingredients, uh, cracked pepper, sea salt. And I was so thrilled with how it came out. And then I did a crispy skin salmon. Again, super easy, just like the cracked pepper, the sea salt, uh, you know, the the uh, lemon, fresh lemon squeezed over it. And I was, cause I was thinking to myself, I don't want to eat salmon skin, but oh my gosh, when it's crispy, Oh yep. my, I was like, hello, it's like a salmon chip and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It was good. So, I mean, for me, I think everybody, and that's probably, you know, I know you had mentioned before about making things less intimidating when you talk about them in your blog and everything. Someone mm -hmm. like myself, I don't want a lot of, if I see too many ingredients, that means too much time at the store or too much time preparing where for me on the skillet those are two things I did the steak and the salmon and they didn't take long they had minimal ingredients mm -hmm. and I liked the results so I think everyone kind of has to tailor things you know try it once in a while even if you don't see yourself as a cook but you know try what you think you can handle I guess and then you'll you know probably enjoy the experience more too oh absolutely I I know that when I had when I began cooking there were some recipes that really intimidated me so I made myself do them and in the beginning it took a long time but then the second time I made it it took less time and then the time after that it was like nothing at all it was maybe 10-15 minutes and even to cook salmon it's like 15 minutes in the oven it's like nothing you know so it's really fast um, and you know there's just uh, once you practice a little bit it, it becomes less of an effort and you can still get some great food and all you need is pepper and salt you can absolutely there are so many great rubs out there for different types of meat uh, but salt and pepper is really I mean I've I've watched so many master classes and salt and pepper is is big in like the, they put that on when they smoke meat and things like that and that's all they use so it's it, it, the simpler the better, I find. You don't have to have 50 ingredients to have an amazing dish. You could just have four and be totally happy with that. So, And I've done that with, you mentioned salmon. Salmon is, you know, that is one meal. Uh, like, I did it in the skillet and I loved it. But I, I will do it, you know, I'll marinate it in a bag and I'll do either like a barbecue sauce, a honey you know, honey mustard or olive oil and some things and then just cook it in the oven and it's easy. But even I, I remember doing chicken the one time and all I put on it was olive oil and salt and pepper. And I was actually, I surprised myself because I'm like, oh, that's got flavor. Like you don't need to, to toss on a ton of unhealthy stuff. Like that's pretty simple, but pretty tasty, you know? Oh yeah. There, salt makes it taste more like itself. That, that is the best way I can describe salt. I remember asking my father, why does salt make it taste better? And he's kind of like, he's like, 
I, I don't know what just does like go, <laughs> go ask your mother you know it's like one of those and it was like I mean he was the smartest man ever but that was the one thing go ask your mother it was funny and uh, <laughs> but you know like then I, I did more research on it as I got better with cooking and it was that's what it does it makes it taste more like itself and then when you add pepper it changes the flavor a little bit because it gives it a nice little spice and not too much though it's not like overpowering it's just a little bit of a a kick so but yeah no that's uh that's that's definitely the simpler the better i really find some of my best meals have the simplest of ingredients and isn't that really just isn't that a nice thing to think about too not just in cooking but in life you know the old saying less is more so it's you know yeah. You don't always need, you know, a whole circus to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) Just take the balloon and the bubbles and you'll be fine. (laughs) So that's a nice transition to, I made a little list before I I got on with you here to do the podcast this week, because again, I'm thinking it's, you know, it's national um, uh, ice cream month in July and thinking of childhood memories. So I was just trying to think of things because again, I don't come from a family where it's like, oh, I remember that time when grandma made this or that. It was again it was just I was in the kitchen passing through or I'd go in to to tease her because I (laughs) used to like to bust her ass my favorite thing to do was when she'd come home every week from the hairdresser and I'd stand over her head and pretend I was going to mess it I'd be like I'm messing your hair I'm about to do it and she'd be like god damn it Ginny and you know Irish she didn't curse she didn't drink she didn't smoke but she'd be like Jesus Christ or god damn it get away from me so I used to love to do that with her in the kitchen more so than cook but I was trying to think of things otherwise that kind of bring me back to childhood and penny candy is one of the things and I'm sure this is true for many people just being able and I think this says more than just about food this is about gaining independence as a kid. I mean, you've been given like, you know, a dollar or maybe you've taken 50 cents from your piggy bank, whatever, and you didn't have to go far. I know in my neighborhood here in North Scranton, we had one right up the street, like a block away. We had one down the hill in the other direction that was a block. And and when my mom was growing up, there was like four within a block. So we would go there and I remember getting those ring pops, those candy watches, uh, the fun dip. Um, the fish and the candy cigarettes. And I mean, so I, I can think of that stuff and instantly I can see myself in either of those uh, penny candy stores. And, and the older ladies that own them, that ran them, I think both of their husbands had passed. So it was the same kind of situation. Julie's was down the hill. Mrs. Trumpicus's was up the street and going there with friends. I remember having a sleepover. I think I was nine or 10. And a couple of us, uh, the girls that stayed over, we put on our, our roller skates and went up the street to get candy. Do you remember doing anything like that? Like going to the store for penny candy or anything? Oh, absolutely. So. We would do a lot of day trips when I was growing up. And the two, while you were talking about that, the two that stuck in my mind were obviously Knobles. They have a general store and they have like little gifts and stuff, but they had huge barrels of candy. And then there was a place, this is actually my favorite place. There was Old Mill Village, which is over by New Milford, that area. And they had like reenactments and things like that of what life used to be in the much earlier times and they had a little candy store and all the candy that you can imagine everything that you mentioned and more you know and 
my sister and I would get an allowance because we did a lot of chores around the house and things like that. So we could not wait for the day that dad and mom were going to take us to Old Mill Village. And if we had a dollar, forget it, we'd have a hundred pieces of candy. It was so cheap. It was a penny. So, and that's just, that's all they charged. Like it was great. So then we would get like a hundred pieces of candy (laughs) and then we were a good time for our parents later. I mean, they wanted to phone us, but you know, it was just, yeah. Oh, listen, I, I remember all of that. That was a lot of fun. I really remember that. And I think that's one of the things, uh, you know, we could probably go off on a whole different tangent about what the youth of today is kind of missing out on because you don't see that too often. Um, I know at Zumo's in Greenridge, you know, it's a great coffee place and different things. They have a couple things on their, uh, I guess you call it shelf there as you're about to check out that like kind of penny candy. And I'm sure there are a couple places that do. And, you know, Wegmans, I haven't, I can't say that I've stopped to look. I know they have individually wrapped candy in those barrels but it's still not the same and I'm sure you know every generation changes like I said my mom in my mom's day and age they had at least four of those little tiny stores that where you could get grocery milk and penny candy now when I was a kid it was down to two and now of course all of those stores pretty much are gone so unfortunately kids are missing that but I mean our generation and many before that got to experience something that was really kind of special I would say mm-hmm Oh, yeah, I, I really I, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I don't even know what's around. I mean, Knobles is still around. I don't know about Old Mill Village, but I don't know really what's around now. But um, I know that there's a huge general store in Tawanda, which is further down the road. But, um, you know, and I'm sure there are in some of the other like country areas. But yeah, I, I just think um, the youth today, it's just a lot different. You know, they're, they have a lot of, you know, technology in their lives and things like that. But whereas we were, and not everyone is like that. A lot of parents that are my age, they have, they want their kids to be outside more and do different things. And I do notice them trying to, you know, get them to get to do the things that we did when we were kids. So, um, I am seeing more people trying to do that, but yeah, it's just very different now. But I'm great. I'm grateful for those memories because they were, I mean, you think about the anticipation. It was so much fun. Like we had a dollar and we had the world in our pocket, the dollar. Like it was so exciting. Yes. Yes. A, co- a couple of weeks ago, um, I forget the name of the podcast. I think it was No More Labels when I talked about flea markets. I remember being taken to the Circle Drive-In Flea Market, which is our local one here outside of Scranton. And I was thrilled to get a book on Abraham Lincoln, I remember, <laughs> and a fuzzy top that you put on top of your pencil, the kind they were like troll hair, and you'd you'd spin your pencil and then the hair would go crazy and then you'd wind it back up and you'd do it again. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, like, we didn't have iPads. I mean, now I'm gonna sound like that. Oh, we walked everywhere and we had no rides or shoes. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, <laughs> I guess this just comes with older age as we get older, but like I was thrilled and those that that purchase, those two little things were like 50 cents, maybe 75. And I, like you said, we had the world. Like we were thrilled with, and the anticipation, again, we can make a whole, whole uh, show on that, but just that, again, not to be like, oh, back in my day, but these days there's, everything is meant to be done right away. I like to say, 
uh, I'm proud of myself for I'll, I'll take responsibility for coining the term. I feel like this swipe right, swipe left society, if we don't get something instantly, it's like, well, how long do I have to wait? You know? And it's like, even with like shows, we used to have to wait till the next week to find out who the murderer was. You know, it's like, yeah. there's no, there's, there's no, I won't say there's no, but it's, it's not the same, you know, as far as anticipation and patience and building to something. It's like, just give me it all now. And I think kids are, again, I don't want it to sound like, you know, like we had the best generation, but you, there is something to be gained from waiting and from anticipating. Yeah, I, I think it, it builds some very great developmental skills in children not to have every single thing they want at that moment. And I, I think it also makes us appreciate things more when we get them. Because, I mean, you know, I can sit here and binge a whole, whole season of shows. And uh, n- knowing me, I'm actually bumping into shows that I knew were around. And I'm watch, I'm binging them and watching them. And then I'm like, I don't know if I can watch the next episode tomorrow, but let me look and see what happens. And I Google it and I find out what happens. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm ridiculous though. Like I, I started watching Desperate Housewives like two months ago and it was, I was like floored with that show. And then I knew I was going to be going away for a week and I'm like, wait, I have to find out what happens. And I go in and look and you can't, you know, with back in the day, you know, there's one episode and then you had to wait a week for the next one even up until the late 2000s 2008 like you know 2009 some of those shows like you had to wait the extra week so but yeah I think it builds a little bit more patience which I think all of us could have more of that oh including myself oh yes yes and I'm not throwing shade at just the younger generation I I lack patience, but in other things, like I can wait for shows and stuff. Although now that I don't have to, I mean, I'm like everybody else. I'm binging through shows, but you know, I think back to when, you know, Friday night and and here we go with food again, Mm -hmm. Friday nights are still huge pizza nights around Northeastern Pennsylvania. But as a kid, Mm -hmm. they were then as well. And I remember Friday nights, you know, my brother is a couple years older than me. It's the two of us. We'd, we'd have our pizza. Well, my parents were there too. We didn't, we didn't raise ourselves, (laughs) but my parents, you know, of course they'd get the pizza. And we would all sit around and with my grandmother and we'd watch on Friday nights. It was the Incredible Hulk. It was the Dukes of Hazard, And we'd eat our pizza and watch the show. So it wasn't, you weren't binging a bunch of episodes. You saw one. And then, you know, if you wanted to see what Bo and Luke Duke got into, you had to wait till the next week, you know? I mean, oh, <laughs> that's rough, man. <laughs> I know. We had it really hard, didn't we? <laughs> so tough (laughs) oh my god do you remember the show this was another one that was really big in the summer battle of the network stars do you remember that show no oh my gosh it and you know what it's funny because we all talk about well we shouldn't say we all i've certainly dissed reality shows because i think some of them are so dumb it's like and next week we're introducing who can watch paint dry the best um there's like (laughs) just we're getting ridiculous with these but I feel like they were ahead of their time back in like the late 70s, early 80s. It was called Battle of the Network Stars. And they probably, a lot of the shows of today with this competition are like, are probably kind of stealing, or I should say they borrowed that concept from years ago. Basically what the show was is they had uh, stars from all of the shows. So mm-hmm. like you had Scott Bayo, you had uh, Aaron Moran, I'm thinking Happy Days here. You had uh, Heather Locklear, you had people from the shows 
and they would compete. So you'd have like them uh, kayaking in a pool or swimming. They would compete and there'd be ABC shows against NBC and against CBS. Wow. And they they did this and oh my God, I remember playing outside with my brother and like, oh, oh Battle of the Network Stars is coming on. And it was like, the, <laughs> we were so excited about it. But now that I think about it, like they were kind of ahead of their time because I know MTV and all kinds of different shows channels have shows now where celebrities kind of battle it out or reality quote-unquote stars battle it out but that's that's what was in like I want to say the late 70s like 77 78 into the early 80s and it was cool because you were seeing them for the first time really outside of their character and they were celebrities who were participating in these uh different competitions that they were you know they were competing against one another so it was one of my favorite shows anyway that's <laughs> You know, it's funny. My parents would always put on like older shows. Like they got us really into I Love Lucy, The Honeymooners, Laurel and Hardy, like old, old shows and like stuff when they were growing up, you know, and we my sister and I loved them. And when there was a new episode of I Love Lucy, we were right there. And I'm pretty sure my life is Lucy's life in that show because I'm in some of the same situations that she's been in over the years. Like she just had such a zany, crazy life. And, um, but yeah, that was what we did. Pizza was the same with us. We would want pizza on Friday and then we would sit, um, we put a, a just a tablecloth right on the floor and we would sit there and, um, you know, just like talk and watch the episode and yeah, that's just what we did. It was like fun. We used to call it a picnic dinner when I was little. See, and again, isn't it like the best things? And I'm not saying that kids today don't appreciate it because I, I hear of kids building forts with the cushions and stuff. So kids still appreciate this. It's just like when you're a kid, though, it's it's like little things like that mean so much. You know what I mean? Like having a picnic indoors, it's like, wow, that's so cool and so much fun. And it's just the joy and the beauty of being young, not being jaded and having your imagination still like highly functioning. You know, it's just so much fun to do that kind of stuff and get so excited about the little things that that I kind of miss in my life uh, a little bit you know oh yeah yeah I we really looked forward to Fridays and the weekend because we were that's what we would do we, we would spend some time together watch the episode and then we would uh, usually on Saturday nights it was like family night so we would go downstairs in the basement that we had like a finished basement and it was nice and cool down there. So when it, was, when it was ungodly hot, we would go down to the basement and it was just like, it was almost like being in air conditioning. It was really cool. And we would sit and watch a movie together in the family room down there. So yeah, just really good memories with stuff like that. Well, this has been fun, and I want to close, before I reclose completely, since it is National Ice Cream Month, let me just ask you, what is your favorite flavor? Without thinking mint chocolate chip, it has been my favorite since I was little. Love it. Okay, and that's I, that's not a favorite of mine, but I would definitely eat that because I like how like refreshing it is. Mm -hmm. It's definitely refreshing. I would probably have to go with anything peanut butter and chocolate. I That's what I tend to get the most. Uh, although I do like German chocolate. They have that at Manning's, which is yummy. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so thank you again for joining me this week. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to close with a couple things here. I wanted to mention real quick, because I looked it up while we were talking, that book I mentioned, um, just because I think it is really interesting, 
interesting, especially for people who really do enjoy food. It is called When Food is Love, Exploring the Relationship Between Eating and Intimacy. And it's by Janine Roth, R-O-T-H. Um, and I wanted to close with a nice quote about food here. And it's, uh, I like this one. A recipe has no soul. You as the cook must bring soul to the recipe. And I think as we said before, whether it's your family memories or whether it's your own input, whatever it is, people can make cooking and recipes their own and just create a really lovely experience for themselves and for the people in their lives. So check out Laura Martinetti. Laura has the colorful takeout queen. She's on Instagram, she's on Facebook and listen to Vibrant Love, right? Yes, thank All you right. so much. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. And this has been Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. And I'm Funny Wine Girl Janine. Everybody have a great night and uh, enjoy whatever you're pouring and uncorking into your glass this evening. Take care. <laughs>